0: Hello, Patriots! Welcome to Living with Liberty, your source for common sense and truth. Bringing you insight from outside the mainstream, I am your host, Ryan. Today, we'll talk about eight ways the Democrat Party parallels the Nazis, raising the minimum wage to $20 an hour, and the difference in how FDR handled a banking crisis during the Depression versus how the Biden regime is handling the current one. Next, on Living with Liberty. The Democrat Party is a party of projection. Every attack, every accusation is an exercise in projection. Think about the history of the party. It was formed by a racist president in Andrew Jackson in 1828 it was the party of slavery in the Confederacy. It was the party that initiated segregation and enforced Jim Crow laws. It has done everything it can to undermine the family structure and destroy religious freedom. And just think about what they do today and how they project that history and actually their their current ideology on Republicans. It's always anybody that opposes The liberal agenda, the Democrat agenda is a racist or a homophobe, or we heard Biden call common sense voter laws, Jim Crow 2.0 or Jim Eagle, as he put it, because, you know, it's bigger than a crow, apparently. I don't know. It's something, you know, just chalk it up to stupid things Biden has said, right? They're always projecting what they are on everybody else. They've undermined the family structure they destroy religious freedom they continue to try and drive a wedge into every part of society whether it's between races between classes or just whoever they can use as a political pawn that is the democrat party democrats are the ones continually trying to segregate society yet they blame conservatives they blame republicans for that who are the ones that are are calling for uh, spaces for all the different ethnicities, who are the ones that are saying we need to have different graduations for Asians and blacks and Hispanics and whites? Who's, who, it's not conservatives saying that. It's your liberal Democrat voting, in the case of colleges, administrators or professors there, right? I mean, it, it's not conservatives. Democrats are the ones trying to continually segregate society because that's where their power is. Their power is in getting people fighting amongst themselves. Now, I have an interesting piece here from The American Thinker titled Eight Startling and Uncomfortable Ways the Democrat Party Emulates the Nazi Party by Steve McCann. Now, you all know how much I hate the constant Nazi comparisons. The Democrats do it all the time oh, the Republicans are Nazi, that's Nazi, that's Nazi Germany, that's... And you know you know how much I hate that. You know how much I hate that comparison and all the hyperbole that goes with it. It means nothing these days just because of how much it's been overused by the Democrats to uh, describe their political opponents. But McCann does a nice job here in this piece laying out the evidence and the parallels between the Democrat Party And what their ideology and politics are today and have been for the last, uh, I don't know, 60, 70 years. Pretty much forever, but certainly within the last 60, 70 years. So he does a nice job paralleling that to what the Nazi party was under Hitler. The piece itself is an interesting read, and as always, I'll link it in the description box. I highly recommend giving it a look. It's an interesting uh, piece overall. We're going to cover it very high level here, of course. I don't have time to go in-depth. Uh, I don't want to, uh, you know. I'd like to to be cognizant of your time, so I'm not going to uh, have a three-hour show here. But I recommend giving it a look. It's a good, it's a good read. So the first comparison McCann notes is the obsession of race from both parties, and McCann says this in his piece: the Nazi Party was the most racially obsessed political party in human history. Today's Democrat Party is second only to the Nazi Party in their racial obsession. Every piece of legislation, every accusation against their opponents, every aspect of American society, even weather and climate, are framed in imaginary racism. The Nazi Party's obsession focused on their perverted belief in the inferiority and superiority of the races or ethnicities. This opened the door for blaming a specific ethnic group for all the problems facing their country. The Democrat Party... Fits this, right? The Democrat Party is claiming and has claimed and probably will continue to claim until it doesn't actually work anymore. I'd question how much it's working now, but it must work enough for them to keep doing it or they're just that stupid and keep doubling down on this. But the Democrat Party is claiming the root cause of virtually all problems facing our nation as systemic racism. Everything is systemically racist. You know, theoretically, these days it's theoretically instigated by one particular race, right? We all know, we all see it, we all know who they're blaming for the problems of this country, colonizer. So, how much stupidity have we heard from the likes of Mayor Pete about racist highways, or how climate change disproportionately affects certain groups? that, that they're just they're just in- infusing race into everything. The Democrat party has one lens they want you to view the world through and that is through their race lens. That's how they want you to view the world. So they keep pumping it into everything. They're such they're so obsessed with it. Everything. We have to have what's our what's our societal breakdowns okay. Every business should have because of diversity should have whatever it is. 49% white, you know, 30% Hispanic, 13% black, 2% Asian, whatever it is. They they want Everything to look like society does. They view everything through race. Their power comes through race baiting and race hating. So they keep doing it because people keep falling for it. They're the only party, like McCann says, that the only party more obsessed with race was the Nazi party. They want that race lens to be your worldview. That is their preferred control mechanism. That is their source of power. We have to stop giving it to them. We're all human. It doesn't matter what we look like on the outside. We need to send that message to these people. Unfortunately, they prey upon the, the students, right? Because they don't know left from right yet. So they say, oh, that sounds good. And, and then they just perpetuate it and they grow up with it and they never snap out of it. They always then, we have a class and I'm worried about this. We have generations of people now probably multiple generations at this point, that are only viewing the world through a race lens instead of are you a decent human being lens, are you qualified to do this job lens. That, that's what we should be viewing things through, not what color are you, What? Uh, what what's your ethnic background, what's your national background, it do, that doesn't matter. Now, I would argue that the Democrats also exhibit this belief in the inferiority and superiority of races and ethnicities. And I invite you to look no further than their continued opposition to voter ID. And what do they blame that on? What do they say, we can't have voter ID because why? It's because there's certain uh, certain groups that don't have access to ID. In essence, insinuating certain groups do not have the wherewithal to figure out how to get down to wherever they need to get down to in order to secure an ID for voting. You you don't tell me that doesn't fit the mold of the Democrats believe there are certain groups in our society that are inferior to others, that can't think, that have to be shepherded along and told what to do all the time, every day, all day. Sounds like they have an inferior view of a certain race and uh, certain races and ethnicities to me, no? I mean... Who, who says that? Oh, we can't have voter ID because we have certain groups that uh, they just can't get go get one. They don't know how. Is In essence, what they've said. It sounds like they view someone, uh, uh, certain groups, as inferior to me here. All right, second 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 one on the list here is political violence. Now, the Nazi Party relied on the brown shirts in the 20s and 1920s and early 1930s to carry out riots, property damage, you know, just general chaos within society. And then they use that as a means to campaign on an ability to bring peace and justice if they were elected. So they use the chaos in the streets to say, hey, look, if you elect us, wink, wink, we can bring peace and justice to society. Now, McCann notes this in his piece. He says this, almost immediately upon assuming the reins of government, They, being the Nazi party, transformed the judicial system into a vehicle of oppression directed at their political foes and the Jews, while their allies were not prosecuted for any criminal activity. Huh. Seems like I've seen that before. And I've seen this type of activity before, this chaos in the streets, and I've seen it go unpunished before. Where have I seen that? Oh, yeah, it's right here. Right here in America. Just a few years ago, actually continuing today. Right, But 2020 was the peak of it, and unfortunately, I think as we get down the road here, we might see more in 2024, late 2023, 2024, unfortunately, because we've got liberal DAs that just won't prosecute it. We don't have enough cops on the streets now because the whole defund of police during that 2020 time period pissed them all off, and now nobody wants to be a cop they all retired the the ones that could retire and then they were having recruiting problems so hmm, what are we going to do they keep they, they keep pecking away at society they keep pecking away at our cultural insta- our cultural norms and our institutions that are supposed to protect society so we have 2020 when we had the democrats brown shirts antifa those street thugs were out burning our cities down as the democrats City councils, mayors, and leftist judges turned a blind eye to the chaos or just released them back out on the street. And then we had the media, you know, playing into all this. The media who's eager to lick the boots of the Democrat Party, calling it all mostly peaceful protesting, which was a sham as buildings are burning in the background. Right? The mostly peaceful protests as city blocks freaking burn in the background. I mean, this is, they're, you're not on radio, dummies. I can see right in the background that if, if there's things on fire, it's not a peaceful protest, you morons. We've seen that they still haven't given up trying to prosecute Donald Trump on whatever made-up charge they can come up with on that particular day. They continue to hold political prisoners in D.C. jails, denying them their constitutional right of a speedy and fair trial. They've raided numerous other political targets in their quest to intimidate people into compliance. All the while ignoring those who have potentially, and I say potentially because there's no charges, no trial, but we all know have potentially committed crimes. They are purporting that their targets, their political targets have committed looking at you, Biden crime family. So yeah, they, all the while they're not, they're turning a blind eye to, to, the crime's happening on their own side. So, yeah, they are they are using the judicial system to try and impart their will on this country to intimidate people. So, yes, there's another parallel. Third parallel, as McCann notes, is this. In January 1933, Hitler was appointed Chancellor of Germany. Within four weeks, a mysterious and in all likelihood staged fire broke out in the Reichstag, which the Nazis blamed on communist agitators as their opening salvo in a violent coup. Using this pretext, the Nazis rushed to arrest and harshly prosecute selected elements of their political adversaries, thus intimidating the balance. They also forced through the Reichstag the the Enabling Act of 1933 in March of that same year, This law embedded the Nazis as the sole dominant political party and ensured that only Nazis could win future elections. Interesting. Interesting. And I'm guessing because you all are very smart, I have the smartest audiences in the business, you probably see the parallel to to today, at least least one of them, at least probably see at least one. There might be one that you've forgotten about here, and it's not, you know, and I don't blame you for that, that, (laughs) not forgetting that one, I'd... I uh, barely uh, remembered it myself, but the first one, the most obvious one, January 6th, right? Which as more and more information comes out about that day, about what happened, surveillance footage, et cetera, things we've seen even leading up to that. It could be construed as a staged event meant to give reason for the persecution and prosecution of political rivals, I'm looking at and I say stage because you look at there's multiple uh, pieces of footage of Ray apps telling people to go in the Capitol agitating people on the steps of the Capitol and you have people clearly telling them in some of those footage to say no you're a fad get out of here right go in the Capitol so clearly stage there's a whole question about why neither Nancy Pelosi nor Mitch McConnell bolstered Capitol Police that day when they had the intelligence, that said, hey, there's going to be a large crowd here. We might want more security on hand, just in case. They said, no, we're fine. You can construe that as, hey, they were staging this. They were setting this up to happen. Just like, you know, I guess there's really no proof back in 1933 of the Reichstag fire, but it's pretty, you know, you can construe it as being a staged event. So we have that parallel. That's the easy parallel. Staged events to secure a political um, to secure political power, to have a way to intimidate your political opponents, to have a scapegoat, right? They continue to try and blame Trump for January 6th. That's the easy parallel. Now the the parallel, uh, the parallel to the Enable Act, the second part of that piece might be a little tougher. And like I said, I I'd kind of forgotten about this one as well, and it triggered my, my memory when I read it. But uh, do you remember when the Democrats tried to push through after that January 6th, after they had taken over the Senate and the House and the presidency? Do you remember when they tried to push through the For the People Act? Right. That's what they titled it. Oh, this is for the people. Right. Which in essence would have federalized elections. And overturned all election integrity measures put in place at the state level. So all the work the states had done, you know, either in the wake of 2020 or even before to secure the elections would have been overturned because federal law always trumps state law when it when it comes to these things. So would it have stood constitutionally? I don't know because I think constitutionally it says states administer elections. But they're smart. They, there's always circumventing of the Constitution going on. We know that. So, if you remember that, that's that's the second part here. That act itself would have been the Democrats' ticket to power in perpetuity at the federal level. They overturning all election integrity laws, federalizing elections. Well, who's in charge of the federal government when this is going in place? Oh, it's the Democrats. So everything that would have been that would have gotten uh, through on that act would have benefited their party. So what do we have here? step one, it's create the chaos. Step two, blame your political opponents for it and then prosecute them. Step three, then rig the rules to in your party's favor. We have history repeating itself yet again here with the with the Democrats of 2023 <laughs> of the 21st century and probably before. Anyway, the next one here: anti-Semitism. McCann notes this: anti-Semitism through the Democrats' nine-decade alliance with the Kukuks. Ku Klux Klan, has long been foundational to the Democrat Party. Today, many elected Democrats openly denigrate the state of Israel, glorify the Palestinian terrorists, and claim that Jews are disloyal. Bingo. They are quick to defend the Muslims. They're quick to uh, denounce the Jews. And I don't know why. A lot of Jews vote Democrat. I don't know why. That party hates them. So I don't get it. Why would you keep voting for something that or a group that hates you that does all it can to denigrate your uh, I don't know is it ethnicity the right it's like a religion Jewish religion it's I think more of a religion than ethnicity um you know Jewish people are middle eastern descent so so they're quick to defend the muslims there's never a peep about the jews uh, or uh, supporting the jews when Hamas or some other terror groups are firing rockets into Israel so yeah Here's another one, and we know how the the Nazis felt about the Jews. They were the scapegoat in Nazi Germany. They were the scapegoat. They were the ones persecuted and attacked. Their businesses are the ones that got burned down. Right, so another parallel, right? Right there, fourth one. Fifth one, censorship. Nazis focused on eliminating anything that didn't support them or the state they sought to create, or just the state, period. Right? There was no book cultural institution or speech that was exempt from their censorship they also broke down the family structure replacing it with the state so you have you can't have that's why that's why these socialists they hate religion they hate family because those are two things you can cling to and, and you don't need the state you don't need government you, the, the god is the ultimate ruler of everything and socialists hate that because they have that human centric uh that human centric view of life where we are the rulers we're the masters of our own domain we were not created right we control our own destiny and they can't stand the fact that there's a, a an omnipotent being out there that knows everything that's going on is, has everything under control that created us that created our planet that And they hate that because it's a challenge to their own power. They're they're in their own minds. They're the most powerful things on earth. And they're not. The Lord Almighty is. So you have that and you can't have the family either. Because the family is a support structure that uh, people can lean on. So they don't have to lean on the government. So they have to destroy religion. They have to destroy the family. Now, the parallel to... Uh, to uh, today's Democrat party is this, as McCann notes. He says this. The Democrat party is figuratively burning books as it uses social media mobs as the vehicle to send the message that they will shut down anyone or anything that does not align with their ideology. Further, they, in league with the teachers' unions, are hell-bent on programming America's youth and destroying the family structure, replacing it with the state. Absolutely. The fight over schools right now. Right? That, that's what we're seeing today. And we have just, uh, the latest one was New Mexico. New Mexico, I think, is uh, some uh, state school superintendent or something like that, head of their education there, said, parents have no rights to direct the, the education, the public education of their child. Bullcrap. Parents have that right. It's been upheld many times through Supreme Court cases over the years. The fight is on for our kids because once you indoctrinate the kids, that ideology is a lot harder to get out of their mind. It's a lot harder to turn them away from that ideology. That's why I said I'm worried about a couple generations here now because they've been indoctrinated. And and the older you get, the harder it is for you to change. Now you see some things as you get older, you wake up, a lot of people have, I get it. But the more, the older you get, the more set in your ways you become. So if you go through school and you're hit with 18 to 23, 24 years of socialist indoctrination by the time you get out of college, that's programming that's gonna be really hard to reverse. Not impossible, but I'd say almost nearly impossible that's why they have to get religion and they have to get family out of the way because if you have religion and family those are influences on your life and you're you're more likely to to take on whatever values you have through your own religion or your, or your family life which probably aren't socialist values let's be honest the sixth parallel here is the indoctrination of the citizens this is totally different than than the um the school and, and indoctrination through the school and, and destroying the family structure and programming our kids. Right, this this is about propaganda and the fake news. So this is a sixth parallel here. You look at the uh, look at all the fact checkers that we have out there today. Now you know there's a fact check if there's a fact check being slapped on a post or or a story. Most likely the opposite is is true. Particularly if it's being slapped on on like. Facebook. I don't know how much Twitter's doing. I think Twitter's become more moderate since Elon Musk has taken over. I think it's floating both ways there. Fine, um, but you still have all your liberal news outlets and, and these just dis- disgraceful fact checkers that are posting. Well, uh, it, it's the context. They they can't even dispute the facts. It has to go. They have to go all the way back down to context to try and propagandize you at this point. Because the facts are the facts. Everybody has a camera. Everybody's videotaping stuff. What does this look like? Oh, that's their own words, right? This looks like someone's burning this building down. They just said this. Well, it's taken out of context. How's that taken out of context? It came out of their mouth. So you know if you see a fact check, particularly in something like the USA Today or Washington Compost or the New York Slimes or on Facebook, you know they are... are, uh, the opposite of whatever they're fact-checking is true. You know it, especially if it's on a conservative. Take it to the bank if it's on a conservative post or website uh, or a um, uh, cur- conservative post or, or uh, media website, then it's, it's, it's the opposite is true of what the fact-check says. So we've, we've got all this. They're trying to propagandize you by discrediting actual facts is what they're doing. They're trying to discredit actual factual information. I covered Operation Mockingbird a bit in my last shows. That's yet another outlet of propaganda from our government. It's a like I said, the CIA has its own wing to propagandize us through Hollywood, and we could go on and on about the other lies from the bureaucrats and the media. Whether it be the reasons why we had to have a COVID lockdown, why we should continue COVID lockdowns, the voter suppression because you know states are enacting common sense of, of voter integrity laws. It, we have January six was an insurrectionist coup. Uh, take your pick. We're being propagandized all the time, all day, every day. Seventh class envy. So this one's a little tougher in America because anyone that's willing to work hard enough can better their social standing. They can better their social class. They can move up. They can move up from you know uh, poor to uh, lower middle class to middle class to upper middle class to you know rich if everything breaks right. I suppose you could call it. So, that one's always been tough to try and break people down in our country. Though, with the destruction of our cultural norms and our worth ec- ethics by the Marxists, this one might be getting easier and easier to achieve in the US. And I, I, you know what, I think it is because you hear Biden repeating it all the time making corporations parry their fair share or tax the rich or the rich are doing this. So, I think it's, I, I think we're sliding towards being able to break our society down by the the class structure as well. Now, McCann writes this about uh, kind of this topic here on uh, uh, Class Envy. He says this, The Nazis, true to socialist ideology, preyed on Class Envy to stoke tensions and resentments as they blamed the Jews and wealthy capitalists for their nation's economic woes. The Democrat Party hierarchy began in 2009 blaming so-called white supremacy together with their century-old tactic of blaming wealthy capitalists for income and economic inequality in order to foment class envy and resentment. But the similarity does not end there. In an extraordinary juxtaposition, the Nazis were able to vilify the wealthy and the industrialists while the subjects of their vitriol financed the Nazi party. Hitler assured the German Corporate titans that despite their rhetoric, the Nazis would leave them alone and award them lucrative contracts if they sustained the party through massive financial support. The Democrat Party has established a similar rapport with the corporate establishment, in particular the finance and tech sectors. In the belief that they will be left alone by the Democrat Party, the American corporate elites have financed the party out to destroy capitalism. Nazis and Democrats both have given the wink and nod to corporations saying, buy into our program, spout our propaganda, and we will leave you alone. Corporations buying into the government program are, in essence, destroying capitalism here in this country. They're, they've already been destroying free, uh, basically free enterprise. It's all a giant symbiote. Government and corporations work together to take away your rights, period. We, in essence, like I said, live in that corporate oligarchy. The corporations run it. Their lobbyists run it. The lobbyists are the ones writing the bills that our representatives vote on. The lobbyists are saying, here's my bill and here's a campaign donation to go with it. The corporation does anyway. Government regulations are such that smaller companies have no choice but to eventually sell out to larger corporations because they can no longer keep up with the cost of regulations. They either shut down or... Sell out to, you know, larger companies. So we end up with these large conglomerates. Politicians need an enemy, so they vilify the corporations and billionaires, but they give them that little head nod with the understanding that if you go with the program, just do ESG, just do do uh, DEI. You just do those programs. Here, here's some subsidi- um, some subsidies. We'll subsidize this stuff for you. Just go with the program. Here's what we want you to do. Nothing will happen to you then if you do that right we get to we get to vilify you we get to to denigrate you we get to say oh the rich the corporations tax them they're not paying their fair share but hey here's yeah, here's some subsidies go with this program and actually we won't do anything to you now like i said you have these smaller companies then that can't deal with the regulations they put these other regulations in place because government's gotten so far down the rabbit hole of getting trying to to orchestrate the market, bailouts, and like I said, these regulations and these subsidies that come with strings attached if these corporations do these things, that you have your smaller companies that can't comply or becomes too expensive to comply, and they have to consolidate. So all the consolidation in the industry then leaves consumers with no choice but to buy from the government's chosen winners in the marketplace. Uh, You don't have any effect then if you want to boycott a company because they don't, support your values and norms you don't ha- you don't have that option anymore because there's been so much consolidation that leaves only a few choices to from which to buy necessities so what do you do go hungry or buy from the evil corporation well i'm not going to go hungry i guess i'll suck it up and buy from the evil corporation you see the the dangerous path that we're going down with this with with corporations in bed with politicians, and you know it goes both ways. There's there's those on the Republican side too. It'd be dishonest to say there isn't. But who is in bed? You think about everybody or every corporation that's causing, uh, the call it the the heartburn in society right now. The censorship, big tech. You can't put anything out on YouTube because if it hurts somebody's feelings. Before Elon Musk took over at Twitter, you couldn't say anything. Or, you're, you know, you, there's tons of people that have lifetime bans over there. So these corporations are in bed. They're going along with the government program. They're going along with the every government program around the world. Eventually, there's so much consolidation, you only have a few choices from which to buy. And at that point, you're talking about it's, in essence, a government, uh, you know, government-run industry at that point. You know, once you get the consolidation down so far, there's, you know, government subsidizing, government um subsidizing corporate operations, it's essentially a government-run corporation at that point. That's where we're heading here with this. Now, the eighth parallel is how the Democrats have embraced Marxism, the Marxism that underpinned the Nazi Party, as McCann puts it. The Democrat Party is not an American party. It's an American last party. It's barely, I, I wouldn't even say it's an American party. It's a socialist party, right? We're not socialists here in America. We never were. Right, it's creeped back in. We had, we had you know, our forefathers that were basically escaping some sort of socialism, oppression, tyranny to come here, founded a free country. Now we're going back and trending back into that tyranny and socialist mindset here with all the crap going on in our country. We, The Democrat Party is hell-bent on destroying American culture and ideals. They're hell-bent on putting us under the boot of government. If we are to survive as a constitutional republic, weak Republicans need to be held to the fire. They need to be held accountable. Either get on board with beating back tyranny or get out of the way. We're going to vote you out. They need to. Uh, we as a people need to understand that Democrats are really socialists. They're not Americans. They're Marxists. Are there a few good ones? Sure. Moderate ones? Sure. But by and large, the party, its platform, is a socialist party, and we need to make sure that the Democrats don't gain any meaningful power ever again. Subscriptions are one way uh, podcasts get discovered, so if you could please do me a favor, whatever platform you are listening to or viewing on, hit that subscribe button. It will give you an alert whenever a new Living with Liberty is published, and the subscriptions help us get into the recommendations so others can find the show. All right, moving on what is twenty dollars an hour worth to you maybe a skilled trade or a plumber hiring uh, skilled tradesmen like a plumber or welder you know hiring them out maybe you hire them out at 20 bucks an hour or so uh, probably starting out uh, maybe it's someone that's experienced in uh, in a technical field a um, technical manufacturing job like operating CNC equipment perhaps that's worth twenty dollars an hour right well, if activists get their way, it's and it's likely they will in the Marxist hellhole states, minimum wage will be raised to $20 an hour. So the people who brought you inflation want to bring you more inflation by raising the minimum wage to $20 an hour. Now, why the push? Well, inflation is making it so $15 an hour. Uh, the $15 an hour, that's uh, minimum wage in some places around the country. Uh, Isn't going as far anymore because of the massive inflation we've seen under the Biden administration. So uh, the 15 bucks an hour—that's not going as far as we thought it would a couple years ago. How about 20 bucks an hour? So it's like what um, 33 percent increase there? Doing my math right here. Um, It's a third of 15 is five bucks. Uh, Yeah, 20 bucks. I, I, I just can't believe this. We we have massive inflation. Part of that, you know, and now it's causing $15 an hour to not go as far. And it's, so we want to raise a wage of 20 bucks an hour, which would what? Cause more inflation because we're inflating the, you know, the floor on, on uh, wages here. Again, it's inflation. So you think that 20 bucks an hour is going to, to, to sustain, you No, it's going to cause more inflation. These people just don't get it. And I can't deal with it sometimes. It's just the stupid. Now, the comical part of this all is one of the reasons or one of the other reasons, I should say, outside of, well, the $15 an hour isn't going as far anymore as we thought it would, you know, four or five years ago whenever that big push for 15 was. The comical, other comical part of this is the they cite minimum wages for a, li- we need a livable wage, we need a family-supporting wage for those that are working. Now, again, this is coming from those who work as hard as they can to destroy the family unit. It comes from those who would rather that you abort your baby than increase the population of the earth. Sure, go ahead, raise the minimum wage to 20 bucks an hour. That'll just raise prices at restaurants and of manufactured goods that are made here in the United States. And those restaurants and manufacturers will figure out how to automate their business in order to reduce the amount of labor because you don't have to pay a machine 20 bucks an hour. I don't have to pay a machine twenty bucks an hour to take orders. I make an investment up front, and it'll pay off over time. I got someone standing at a cash register making twenty bucks an hour. I, th- these people just don't get it. There's other way. You're not going to keep your job at twenty bucks an hour flipping a burger. I'm sorry. If that hurts your feelings, I'm sorry. It's the truth. It happened in the places that moved to $15 an hour. We've seen the pictures of McDonald's then going to an automated ordering system. You walk in, you punch in what you want on a menu board, and it kicks a ticket out to the back to someone to make your sandwiches and and, uh, fry up your French fries. They don't get it. Minimum wage isn't meant to be a career. It isn't meant to be a living wage. The minimum wage jobs are there for teens and college students to get experience in the working world. It's there to supplement the, the adult population and th- adult workforce and things like retail and, and food service and you know whatever else is open, you know, more than eight hours a day. Minimum wage is the starting point and the labor market will dictate what people make. So if you want to have a, you know, the wage floor in essence creates inflation because you're saying you can't pay anything less than this. Well, the job market will determine how much is going to get paid out. It just will depend on the unemployment rate. The higher the un- unemployment rate, the lower wages are going to go, right? Because it's like, well, I'm not unemployed. I'll take a, a lower wage job just to be making some money. And if the un- unemployment lo- rate is low, then wages are going to be high. That's how it works. This is the government meddling in economics again, doing stuff they don't know, you know to what they're doing. They're, they're digging into things they don't know what they're doing and they don't and they don't know what they're doing I should say raising the minimum wage will raise the wages of everyone else as well increasing inflation across the board if burger flippers are making 20 bucks an hour do you really think that a welder that actually went to school went to trade school maybe did an apprenticeship but did something to learn an actual skill to learn something that I would you know dare say isn't like you know, we're not, isn't, uh, you know, an inherent uh, skill or ability like flipping a burger. We all know how to flip a burger, right? We should anyway. We don't, I don't know that we need to have anybody teach us that welding or plumbing, something like that. That's different. You need to have someone skilled, a skilled journeyman, tradesman, whatever, train people how to do this stuff. Do you think that that welder or, or plumber that's making maybe 22 bucks an hour now is really going to settle for that 22 bucks an hour if you raise the minimum wage at 20. No, they're going to want to be compensated in a way commensurate with their skill. What is more skill? Welding a pipe? Uh, Welding two pieces of metal together? Or flipping a hamburger? Or popping that hamburger in a freaking microwave? Or dumping a basket of fries into a fryer for three minutes? What takes more skill? What's worth 20 bucks an hour? And then you know what? Here's the other thing that'll happen. So you'll have all these these wage earners that are in the neighborhood of 20 bucks an hour saying, hey, I'm skilled actually. I should be making way more than 20 bucks an hour. And and then we'll have this inflation that that, that happens because of it, because everybody's wages will have to be raised. And then you'll have the calls to raise the minimum wage starting all over again because of uh, income inequality and inflation. Well, what the hell do you think caused it? There's no forethought to what's going to happen if you raise the minimum wage. There, there's no cause. There's no thought of the cause and impact on on the economy of this. It's just, well, we'll raise it to twenty bucks because is not enough, and then everybody's wages get raised, and then we have inflation again, and we have income inequality, and we always will. It's not even income inequality. If you're willing to learn a skill and apply yourself, you can make that you know, money, too, that the people with skills are making. There's no income inequality. It's called hard work. There's never any forethought to the effect of these types of policy demands. It's just that we want it, so give it to us. All right, finishing up today, I have a political article here titled The Lessons of the Great Depression Are Being Ignored by Charles Calamiris. Look, the FDR was hugely responsible for government expansion, He's hugely responsible for some of the socialist crap we see today in our government. But by all accounts, and I looked this up outside of this political article as well, he did understand banking. He did understand leadership. He did understand taking action. He did understand the perils of the government protecting the banks. So Calamiris writes this, FDR understood the danger of excessive government protection of banks and would be dismayed by the extent of it today. He solved the 1933 bank meltdown with smart regulatory policy and real government oversight, not a bailout, as is currently being done. Okay, probably uh, Chuck here is a uh, definitely leans left. I'm sure. I smart regulatory. Okay, let's let's pump up FDR, right? And the Democrats, scion, smart regulatory policy and real government oversight. Okay. Yes, I'll admit because you can't. You know we're 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 fair here, and we're we keep, we're not going to rewrite history like the Democrats like to do. We're not going to project. Yes, FDR did solve the banking crisis during the Great Depression with policy, and the government didn't hand out bailouts because the bank was just too big to fail. These banks are too big to fail. Let's just bail them out. Didn't do that. He said, okay, kind of got to the root cause, right? We got got to the root cause. What's going on? What policy can we put in place that solves that root cause, which is how it should be done? Fine, I I get that. I understand that. The other key piece here is FDR was opposed to federal deposit insurance. He understood what it would do to banks and depositors, as Calamiris notes. He says this, in the heart of the banking upheaval with many bank failures producing depositor losses in 1931 and 1932, His, FDR's, 1932 letter to the New York Sun stated that federal deposit insurance would lead to laxity in bank management and carelessness on the part of both banker and depositor. I believe that it would be an impossible drain on the federal treasury. Yes, FDR got it. He understood that government intervention is unsustainable, and it just multiplies. So he didn't want the the FDIC created at all. It, It didn't need to be created. And he's absolutely right, because what do we see today? We see today our government repeatedly goes well past that $250,000 limit the FDIC has on insured deposits in repeatedly bailing out banks and depositors, putting us deeper in debt because we don't have this money they're using to bail out banks, and increasing inflation because the money for the bailouts is borrowed and or printed. The fact that deposits are insured has led to risky behavior on the bank's part, knowing that they have $250,000 to play with free, like if the bank loses it, well, the FDIC will cover that depositor's money. We got, you know, at least a free $250,000 to play with here, right? We can do whatever we want, take as much risk as we want with it, right? So they have banks freely knowing that they have, you know, $250,000 from each depositor to play with. And up to, I should say anyway, and it's led to depositors not doing their due diligence on banks and how they are investing the money that they're putting into those banks. They're, they're not keeping up with how are you as a bank investing my money, my deposits, growing that money, paying me more interest, right? Of course, the Biden regime you know, has done nothing but play politics with this situation. The contrast here between what FDR did and now what Biden, the Biden regime is doing. So FDR took on policy, pushed back against FDIC, didn't want government really bailing out banks at all. We've got nothing but political rhetoric and solutions here at this point. The Biden regime really doing nothing to solve the problem just throwing money out, throwing money at the problem. So instead of offering anything in the way of a policy solution, policy, the Biden regime would rather play politics and hand out bailouts and continue to pick winners and losers. Hand out bailouts to those that support the Democrat Party, in essence. So they just want to pick winners and losers. They think think they're so smart they can control the economy. And you know what? Anytime a government is picking winners and losers in a marketplace, it's always the people, the consumer, who end up as the losers. Before I go, don't forget to tune in live to Rucksack Radio on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Central for Laughs and Liberty with Tom and me. You can catch us live on Riverside FM, Rumble, YouTube, or Twitch. We'd love to engage with you all in the chats. Friends, that's my show for today. Thank you for tuning in. Please check out my website, livingwithlibertypodcast.com. There you'll find links to my past shows, my original articles, as well as other resources to help arm you with knowledge in fighting off the prevailing narratives of the day. While on my website, shop my store, Living with Liberty Outfitters. Lastly, I'd be so grateful if you shared, subscribed, and left a positive review of the show, should your listening platform allow. Subscribing helps us move up the charts and helps more people find the truth.